by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Hello, welcome to N17 Women, the only podcast about Tottenham Hotspur women's team. Today, it's a joy to be here because we are doing an end of season show. Uh, it's a good thing that we got to the end of the season, that we're still in the WSL. WSL. I can't even say it now, but at least we're in it. Um, my name is Rachel Cohen. I'm here with my co-hosts, Caroline, Abby and Sean. How are you doing and how are you feeling about making it this far? This is the good part of the season. You know, we just get to enjoy all of the relief of the games being over and you get that little bit of excitement with the transfer window. And obviously we have a, a manager who's going to be coming in as well. So I think I think it's a better time to be a Spurs fan than it has been for a while. You know, I've been saying for months, rumors of our demise have been greatly exaggerated. So that's kind of just how I'm feeling now. When Caroline said we have a manager incoming, we're recording this on Tuesday night. And so far, we don't have a women's team manager yet. We do have a men's team. (laughs) Yes, this is certainly the point of the season that is full of hope, isn't it? We can forget what's gone before and just sit in hope of what will come in the coming season and, and also in the lead up to that, lots to come. So but it also means we are bereft of actual games, which is it's nice in a way to have a break. But then it's also like, what do I do with my weekends? Um, but obviously, we've got the World Cup coming up soon. So that might give us something. to. Although I would say the lack of games. I did a poll on Twitter last week about how people were feeling with not having a game this weekend. And the answer that came out top was karma. <laughs> So I think people are at the moment still enjoying the feeling of not stressing about it a little bit. Well, and there's the World Cup this summer, you know, that we all get to enjoy. So we won't be totally bereft of football. And for Abby and me, we get American soccer to enjoy as well. Exactly. The beautiful game never ends. And we will be talking World Cup talk a little bit at the end of this podcast. But for the most part, we're going to do a few end of season quick awards where I've got 15 different categories that we're going to give awards in. So we are going to be pretty snappy about it. And we're going to start really with the big one, player of the season. So people's nominations, Abby. I mean, it has to be Beth England. It just has to be. You surprise me. Caroline, Sean, do you have any advance on Beth England? It is Beth England. Now I'm going to be a little bit controversial because I, I see Beth England as the second half player of the season. Absolutely. But that was only half. So I would like this award to be divided in two this season, because actually, I think if we look back at the first half of the season, I think Ash's first half of the season was was excellent. And we would, you know, a lot of people have said Beth England player of the season because we would have been relegated without her. Well, I don't think even Beth England could have saved us if we hadn't had Ash in the first half of the season, scoring the goals that she was scoring and doing what she was doing. So it is hard to remember that far back and and because Ash is second half of the season wasn't as good both by her standards and in comparison with Beth it's difficult to see that but I do think that it's a it's a season of two halves this year and that is how I would frame it but if you've got to choose one for this season then Beth has been a, a breath of fresh air I think for the club and and been brilliant on not just footballing terms so um, I think she deserves the awards. Yeah, I think I'm there with you on Beth. I think Ash had actually a very good season and we do forget that, but she had periods where she wasn't playing so well. And in some ways it's easier. Beth only had 12 games to play well, but she played well for 12 games and we really needed that and it was desperate time. So 
pretty much unanimous with a little bit of shout out for Ash for first half of the season. Beth England, player of the season. Okay, so how about this one? Unsung hero of the season, starting this time with Caroline. Well, kind of piggybacking off what Sean just said, I'm going to have to go with Ash because I think it's easy to forget the fact that she had to play so many different positions over the course of the season. You know, she was still a stat leader for us and and quite a few things. And she's got that dogged attitude and I think leadership also in the team. So yeah, I, I agree. Like we needed Beth to bring the goal scoring potential that she had, but we would not have survived the season without Ash either. Yeah. I think Ash is only unsung because Beth showed up halfway through the year. I'm sure you have an inkling of who I'm going to throw out for this, but I, um, well, I don't know. I was going to say Evelina, but I feel like she did not have a great start to the season and she really only started like putting stuff up at the end. So I'm kind of just biasing myself by knowing that like I expected her to be really good the whole season, like at the start of the season. And now I'm really rethinking that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good argument for it. I just like her. Yeah, well, I think well, when I did a poll online of people, like she won, she got the most votes for Unsung Hero. But actually, what was interesting is it was a very split vote because it's the sort of thing where most Spurs players are not very well well known. So everybody's unsung. It's just which one's your hero. So, Sean, how about you? I think I'm going to go with Molly for this one. I think she's been a stalwart in that back line for us. I think she deserves to be considered for captain or to be a leadership role. I know when she was on our pod, she was like, no, 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 that's not me. But I think it really is. And I think she's done really well in that back line that didn't do very well. But she's been a consistent player there. Um, and I just love her attitude and her uh, and her approach. Yeah, I actually want to change my answer to Molly as well. I was thinking that just before you started talking, partially because I knew you were going to say Molly. She just like, I, I feel that she fits the role of unsung hero better, like archetypally. And I'll just say that I considered both of y'all's nominations as well. So it's, you can't go wrong with any of them. Yeah, because I came into it thinking kind of Evelina, because like Abby, I love her. And I do think she's just been really important in the latter parts of the season when we needed her. Molly is always there as that sort of like just absolute stalwart and, you know, just week in, week out. And then I got persuaded by Caroline's argument. But I'm going to go left field and throw in Keris Harrop because... I think she does a lot of really good stuff. And she, I think more than any of the others, she doesn't get the sort of kudos from fans. And she gets a lot of criticism for some of the things that she doesn't do. But like I've said a lot of times, I think she was so important in the win against Leicester. And some of what she does in terms of, you know, shepherding the back line has been really important. So I'm never going to be able to say her again. So I am saying her now because I want to be able to. I think all of those are good shouts. How about best young prospect? We've got to see a few new young players this season. So, Sean, who's your best young prospect? Celine, for me. I think she's uh, showed some real promise this season. She's got really well involved with the team from an early point, And she's just one of those players who I think has got some Tottenham flair about her. So really looking forward to seeing how she developed. Yeah, I'll second Celine. I think she's just one of the most exciting players that we have in the squad you know, to actually watch her on the ball. And she, I think, kind of made quite a bit of progress over the course of the season too, because we knew when she came in that she was kind of a, you know, a raw talent and we really saw her kind of mature over the course of the season. So I I think it's just only going to go up from here next season. 
Yeah, I think I have to agree. Same reasons. I think she's one of the few players I really look at and think she's a hundred percent clearly for sure improved from the start of the season to the end of the season. And I just think her attitude is so great and everyone seems to love her. She's just awesome. And she's kind of made herself undroppable too, I feel like. Yeah, I think she's she's great. And she's also, like everyone says, she's awesome. She's lovely. If you chat to her after a game, she just seems full of life. I don't think she's quite had a full game yet where she's played the entire game well. And so she is definitely what she is as a prospect. And she's exciting because she's improving. I think what's interesting is we've had a few young players who who are getting there. Like Jess in the last few games is coming back. And so she's exciting again. And we have to remember, I think she's still only 21 or she might become 22 between now and whenever I last looked at the numbers. And, you know, I still love Nicola and I actually think she improved as well over her time at the club we just didn't see enough of her to (laughs) see that bear fruit so anyway I think that's a unanimous vote for Celine in this but I think there are a couple of other players at least who are very exciting yeah and I'll shout out like I don't think Evelina necessarily counts as a young player anymore because I think she did cross the 24 age mark recently or maybe last year I can't remember and I would say as Mina but we really haven't seen as much of her and I don't know if she's still going to be at the club next year still so I'm going to just hold my tongue on that one for now (laughs) but that is a good shout because again if you look at the first half of the season she was pretty much after Ash our top rated player she was great I mean not maybe the half of the season but the first eight nine games I guess and then it's a tough question I think we have a lot of like exciting young players who have just not seen the field or not been seeing the field so that's at least something to dream on going in the other direction how about the player who most underperformed your expectations anyone want to kick us off oh man it's actually depressingly hard to choose from I I have to admit with all the hype around her coming in which I feel like is not a good intro for this player but like look United fans were like so upset Amy Turner was coming to us I really thought she was going to come in and just shore up our back line and make it like the same unbreakdownable structure that it was at most of the time last season. And instead, instead she like put the ball in her own net more than she didn't. And I was just really so, so disappointed with that and it didn't seem to improve throughout the season. And so it was a tough choice. (laughs) I cannot say that enough, but I have to go with Amy. I think for me, this question is tough because it's like, is this my expectations or the sort of general consensus expectations? Because if it's the latter, I would have to go with Abby's suggestion of Amy Turner. But I think for my own personal expectations, and maybe it's unfair to pick a player who came in the second half of the season, but I really thought that Mana Iwabuchi was going to light it up. And at first it looked like she was going to, and then it just fizzled out. So I think I'm always going to kind of wonder like what could have been if perhaps she was a little bit more fit and yeah, we'll just never know, but she was a disappointment. I have to say. Yeah, no, I think those two probably uh, top the bill for expectation wise. I mean, there were other players who had seasons that were below par for them, I would say, but I think those two are the ones I think with Amy Turner, probably with the mistakes that she made, albeit that she was a playing out position for a lot of the time and things she didn't have it easier this season but she didn't play as well as, you know, 
we would have expected to. And and yeah, Mana, particularly with the players, sort of talking about how brilliant she was in her first training sessions with the club and how great it was. I was hoping there'd be a bit more of a spark from her, but whatever the reason for her was, I mean, and she didn't have the kind of ne- negative impact that Amy sometimes had. I just think that Mana just had the, a very bland impact, which was a shame considering what we were hoping for was that technical skill to light up the second half of the season. Yeah, I think my immediate thought was Amy Turner for all the reasons that you've all outlined already. It made me laugh. The club put out a tweet today about her having started every game of the season. And of course, like a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, that was true. Again, it's probably not entirely her fault, but she wasn't a player who has lit up any games that she's been in and people continue to find her less than inspiring I guess and you know again when she talks about football when we see her interviewed she sounds great and she's clearly cares about things and she's committed and all those things it just that hasn't worked out this season very well although obviously she's doing something because she is undroppable apparently but the other thought I had was in terms of like my expectations and especially what we thought was possible in the first few games it's Drew Spence because she played really well in her first couple of games, or at least for large parts of them. And she looked like she was bringing a sort of new, sort of both solidity and excitement and technical skill to the centre of our midfield. And that's just disappeared so often this season. So I don't think she's had a bad season, but I think my expectations for her were much higher than they were for Amy. And so this part of me wonders if she's the most underperforming expectations just because the expectations were higher. I just feel like I can't say that my expectations for Drew were very high because like I know she's a great player, but I remember like we were all pretty concerned about, well, not concerned, that's not the right word, but we were wondering about how many minutes she'd been playing before coming to Spurs and wondering whether she'd be able to keep up with, you know, starting all the time, getting 90s all the time, being on international duty as well and not having those rests all the time. And I still don't really have a sense of whether like she dropped off because of that but I think it's just why I I had more questions going in yeah although I think what's been interesting is she's continued to often play 90s or at least close to 90s and so I think that we were especially concerned about whether she would literally stay on the field for the periods yeah and she has stayed there it's just that she hasn't always been engaged in the game for the full 90. Yeah. And like, I'm actually realizing I'm not being fair here because I know we said the same thing about Amy because she had not been getting a lot of 90s coming in. We knew that as well. That was kind of true of, I think, a lot of our recruitment in the past season was players who weren't getting minutes either because they had just fallen out of the pecking order or they were really young prospects who hadn't broken in yet. Yeah, it was kind of hard to gauge expectations for a lot of them, I feel like. But maybe that is a learning point for the future in that you're right, because Celine didn't get any game time either. And Angarad and Amy had had very little game time and Drew hadn't. I can't Ellie. remember. Yeah. What is so, this, like Tottenham Hotspur rescue mission? Exactly. Manor had been on the bench. Beth had been on the bench even. I mean, literally <laughs> every player we've recruited this year and spent most of last season on the bench. So maybe this season we're going to be bringing in players who have had some game time this year, just as a starting place. Okay, so I want to finish this section on players with the player who surprised you most. 
I mean, I think for this one, for non-footballing reasons, I'm going to go with Beth because just the way that she's become so much part of the team and the way that she's embraced the fans and all those kind of things. Having been at Chelsea for so long and even the first half of the season, I guess I was just surprised at how quickly she kind of really felt like she was playing for Spurs and was was playing for the fans, which I guess is partly, you know, the way that it's been ingrained at her at Chelsea. But I also think that's just part of who she is as a person. So whilst her footballing has been brilliant and has been great, I don't think it's been a huge surprise to anybody. Maybe the consistency that she's brought it has been a surprise given that she hadn't been playing so much. But I just think that that, that kind of the way she talks about Spurs and the way she talks about moving forward with the club and things has been quite surprising for somebody who had been at one of our fiercest rivals for so long. I think that's a really good shout because <laughs> I think a lot of us when she came in probably were kind of like, oh, she's probably not excited to be here. You know, she's just doing it to get on the World Cup squad. But I mean, she's completely won me over. I'll put it that way. But the player that I went with was actually Evelina because previous to this season, I had seen her as more of a defensive minded player. And this year we really got to see her attacking potential come out. I guess that's one thing we can take as a positive out of this season, that that was kind of a pleasant surprise. And I think it kind of also highlighted just her really great mentality on the pitch as well. So Evelina for me. Yeah, I think I totally agree with both of those. I think with Beth, it was like, I I really like deep down inside, I don't expect good things to happen to us. Like, I just feel that sometimes we're just kind of unlucky. And I was so sure that Beth was going to come in and like something bad was going to happen and she wasn't going to make the World Cup squad. And so the fact that it ended up being like this really beautiful story I have to admit, it's a surprise to me. Same thing with Evelina. Like, <laughs> I I feel like we all knew she was good and like she had a lot of wonderful attributes. I really did not know that playing in the 10 role was one of them. I like was reading back what I wrote about her at the beginning of the season. And I was saying something like, oh yeah, like, you know, we can't ask her to do everything, but if she could add a little bit of attacking to her game, she'd be like a real world beater. And like, then she did. So that was really cool. And then to throw in like a more negative surprise, the last one that occurred to me, I'm shocked, baffled and bewildered that Roz ended up being our top sister. It doesn't really, I don't, this isn't really about Roz. It's more about our squad, but yeah, that was what I was going to go with. I don't think anyone would have predicted it. Let's put it that way. I don't think anyone did. Yeah, it's funny because I I was going to say a slightly facetious Ross comment about her getting to assist in the final game. That was pretty surprising. But I think that the the sort of better answers that you gave around Beth and Evelina are really good. I guess we can say something more negative, but it's not a specific player. But Rich really is just about how leaky our defence was, which was perhaps a surprise to all of us this season. But I can't pin that on a particular player, so... Yeah. Pin it on Mava and Rachel for leaving. Oh, I think, well, we could say Mava's absence yeah. is the thing that surprised us the most. Although we kind of knew it was going to have to be bad. We just maybe didn't know it was going to be that bad. Yep, big loss, I think. And one we still haven't solved. Yeah, here we are on like our season finale pod still talking about losing Rachel and Mava. Like this literally like, it comes up like once every other game, I swear. And neither of them were at the club that long. It's just that they they both fit into those holes. I think I think Maver is the one that's still going to be felt. I think with Beth, we've kind of found a way for Rachel not to be such a miss. But I think Maver is still a big miss and we still haven't solved the puzzle of defensive midfielder. 
Well, we will get on to thinking a little bit more about holes in the team in the second part of this podcast, but let's carry on with our awards. We're done with all of the player awards and we are moving on to goals. So I want to have your goal of the season. I'm going with the one that won the goal of the season, Ash's goal, early on in the season, just because there were a lot of goals that were from a distance out, but I think that one was the furthest out. And I think that was just a, a one hell of a goal. I went with an emotional answer. I'm going to have to say Kit Graham's goal versus Reading because it just, it meant a lot to see her not only coming back from injury and still looking like the player that she used to be, but getting that first goal since she returned. I think that was just a really special moment. Yeah, there's like weirdly a lot of contenders for this, given that we didn't have like the best season. Yeah, Ash's goal occurred to me. I was also the other one that came to mind was Jess Naz's very rude goal against Brighton. But for me, I think the one I'm going to give it to Oh, and obviously like three Beth England goals, like the one against United, the one against Leicester. Those were beautiful goals. But the one I have to give it to is Celine's goal in the final or not in the final game against Reading because it was just a beautiful team goal. And for a team that really didn't look like it was gelling for most of the season to see like everyone come together and play a part in that goal and the switched onedness of it, which, you know, making up a word there and then you know, Celine's celebration. It was just a beautiful team goal. And it was nice to see that at the end of such a rough season. Yeah, I was actually thinking about both that one for all the reasons you say, Abby, and because it just, it gave you hope for the future that this is a team that could play together. And we didn't believe that for so much of the season. And it was so great to see that and to have it finished with style. I think the other one, and Jess, Jess's one was just, hilarious and joyous and it was the end of that you know it was that game when nothing went wrong before we realized that so much could go wrong and you know was it four touches from kickoff it was just fun and stupid and I loved it I think the other one though the one that really strikes me is Beth England against Leicester because if you're thinking the goal of the season in some ways that was the goal that saved our season that was the moment it was a 1-0 victory the first after nine you know straight defeats and it was a beautiful goal but also if we hadn't scored that goal that was basically it and so it was kind of it feels like it literally was the goal of the season because it created that sort of potential for the rest of the season to not go completely into the mire. But I think it's really interesting, as Abby said, that we had a terrible season and yet there were actually some really good goals from lots of different players, not just Beth, but all over the place. But because there were so many goals scored by Beth, I want us to now go from our goal of the season to our Beth England goal, the favourite Beth England goal. It doesn't have to be your goal of the season, just the one that you enjoyed the most. I think for me, that has to be the Leicester one. It was the goal, it was the celebration, um, just, just yeah, just bang and, and in the back of the net. Yeah, that one. I mean, obviously the Manchester United goal was great as well, but it was quite quickly lost, that, that elation from that goal. But the I think my favourite Beth England goal was the Leicester one. I went with the Manchester United goal, just because I think that's the one I enjoyed the most in a pure way. Like <laughs> with the one against Leicester, it was more just relief. But because Manchester United is like a pretty high quality team. I think we can all admit as much as we hate it, being able to score a superb individual goal like that just goes to show how much quality Beth has. So I loved that one. It's really funny because you said you picked it for pure reasons. And I was about to say, I was going to pick the same goal, but for like, just like totally impure, like hater based reasons, she like 
literally made some United defenders like almost fall over and look totally foolish and then got past like one of the best goalkeepers in the league and from a hater's perspective that was awesome and that's exactly the kind of attitude that I just love in top players but I also am like as I've been sitting here I'm like there's just so many times she saved our season like there was the Leicester goals both of the Brighton goals I would say I, I like their goals against Villa like just so many times that I was like we're done and that Beth England just like pops up and scores a goal I can't even remember all of those goals I feel like I'm gonna go back after this recording and like watch a little reel and be like damn we didn't even mention my favorite so yeah she's just good She's really good. And yeah, I, I mean, I already mentioned the Leicester one. So I'm just going to bring another one in here. I love the Man United one. But in some ways, I feel like the one that is, it was just fun because that was the moment when I relaxed. Uh, when she basically stole the ball and went round the Reading keeper for the third goal against Reading. Because once it was 3-0, there was no coming back. It was done. And that was just a cheeky goal scorer's goal. And I loved it. I love that we got that goal because that's the kind of goal that we were getting scored against us in the first half of the season. And so that gave me a lot of joy. And it, it really was the moment when we were just like, yeah, we're safe. This is done. There, This is over. So yeah, for happy reasons. But as you were saying, Abby, she scored against great goalkeepers. I mean, she scored against Mary Earps. We're talking about a great goal against Jana Leipzig and against Leicester. You know, she scored against all the best goalkeepers who have been really good at keeping clean sheets. Okay, moving on from goals to games, we've got most enjoyable game and it's going to be followed by most painful game. So you can tell me one at a time or both together if you like. Let's start with most enjoyable. I feel like there's only one answer to this question and that's the Brighton game. Lots of goals and all of a sudden hope for the rest of the season. Of course, it wasn't to be, but within that 90 minute, we were all very hopeful of what our season could be and just enjoying watching all those goals go in from different players. Molly scoring her first goal, Ash's little back heel, all of that fun stuff. It was just a great, great fun game. We forgot the back heel goal and we were that back heel to Drew. We didn't even list that in our favourite goals of the season. See, there's so many. I actually think for me, it's the Reading game and I, I don't know how to explain it. I think part of it is I was actually asleep until the sixth goal of the Brighton game. So I didn't have that like lengthy, like riding high that I did in the Reading game. And then I also just like, you know, the Brighton game, I still, even at the time, you know, I had hope because I was like, oh, we have Everton next. We'll beat Everton. That's really going to launch our season. But there was still like this little question in the back of my mind of like, what about all those things that, we saw earlier this season in like Brighton, you know, eight goals is a lot to ship. Like, oh no, like what if they were just like rolling over? So for me, it was definitely the Reading game, partially also because of the sense of relief. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Well, I had to go with the Brighton game. It was just the sheer variety of goals that we scored. It was like we were getting a glimpse at what our team could be at their very best. But to be fair, also at Brighton's very worst. It almost felt like a fever dream experiencing that game, but in like a happy way. So yeah, it's a positive memory. Yeah, that game was fun. It was, and, and the Brighton fans were like nice. It was a great stadium to be in. It was good atmosphere. There was enough Spurs fans that it felt like a group of us really enjoying the whole thing. Yeah, and as everybody said, a lot of really good goals. And it felt like 
everything that went right could go right that could go right went right but I almost yeah I'm really torn because the reading one mattered more and I was more worried and I was more stressed and then for me to make it look that easy was such a relief it was felt like much more of a exhalation yeah I'm really torn yeah let's go 50 50 and I'll say reading as well and then it's a split on which game it was I want to say also like again, from a hater's perspective, a lot of people out there really thought we were going to lose to Reading. Not Spurs fans necessarily, but like journalists and stuff. They thought we were dead. And like, so for me, the Reading game had an aspect of like, haha, see you are not dead. I don't know. Maybe it's just recency bias. Okay. Uh, what about most painful game then? Lots to choose from again. Well, kind of going with the same logic I had earlier in choosing Beth's goal against Manchester United. I'm going to have to say the away game against Manchester United just because I hate losing to them and just the very lackluster fashion in which it happened. And I know that like realistically, it didn't matter that much in terms of our, you know, relegation fight. We weren't really expected to get the points there, but it was it felt like a very demoralizing day. (laughs) It was. It really was. (laughs) How about you, Abby? I think same. I feel like. I think that was actually like there was a lot to choose from, but I remember like texting Caroline after that game and just being like, I, this is the first time I like legitimately like, I think we're going to get relegated. And then like, of course, three days later, everybody else got beat like really badly. And I stopped feeling that way, but like us not even trying seemingly to win that game and then losing in the way we lost and it being United who I hate. I don't know why I hate them. I just hate them. I just hate them so much. That was a real, real, real low point. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go with Everton at home. Just nobody in the stadium. At that point, it wasn't that bad stakes. And we still had some hopes that the season could be um, not terrible. And that game kind of cemented the, okay, no, we're really bad kind of feeling because we shouldn't have shipped that many goals in that situation. And yeah, that that was a really bad game for me. Yeah, I'm really split between, I mean, I hated West Ham at home. I thought that was a terrible game because we should have won that. But I think the two low points for me are probably Everton at home and then Arsenal at home. And the Arsenal at home one is for many of the reasons that you thought Manchester United at home, but we lost 5-1 to Arsenal at home. We didn't try. And, you know, I think we've come to talk about this when we talk about the managers, but Vicky Jepsen had a strategy and her strategy, I, I would say, involved just not caring about those games against the top four. And so she didn't play differently. She didn't adjust in any way to address those teams and we got absolutely destroyed by them under her in ways that we didn't used to under Rianne Skinner and I you know that's a choice and we stayed up so maybe it was the right choice but it made experiencing that game horrendous and being surrounded by Arsenal fans who by the end are probably pitying you is just not the most fun and you know doing that if you think at the equivalent game last season it was a one-all draw but the Everton one it was I still think of it as the nadir of the season it was where we played a team and everything went wrong Jess Park taking on Becky Spencer there was Ash the red card there was Jess being injured and there were three unnecessary goals to concede so we did everything wrong we could possibly do wrong so yeah I don't know close there was a lot of bad games this season weren't there (laughs) okay so not enough good ones (laughs) no (laughs) 
so I guess this one's just for me and Sean because we were at pretty much all of those games. So what do you think was the best home atmosphere and the best away atmosphere, Sean? I think home, my favourite moment of atmosphere was when Kit came back from injury. So that, that game stands out for me because even I wasn't ready for that reaction that as soon as she stepped off the bench, people were clapping and, and cheering. And then as soon as she came on the pitch, everybody was really... Um, and I think that was a really big moment for me because it showed that there was a lot of people in the, in the stadium who appreciated Kit and what she'd been going through and a lot of people who, who were really, you know, understanding the team in a way that when Rhea Percival came back, the crowd at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium showed they didn't have that same investment in the team. So I think that was uh, my favourite uh, moment. I'm not sure atmospheres at home are something that we can necessarily um, brag about, but I think that moment was was really classy. You're right. I don't think our home atmospheres are great. I mean, I was almost going to choose, and this like makes no sense at all, the Everton home game, which was horrendous. And we just said how terrible it was. But it, there was so much gallows humour because it was so terrible that I almost had the sort of funniest time I've had at a game this season. Yeah, no, I, I, can, I can see that. And I think actually that this season has been nice because we have started to... And I, I think actually the season ticket holder zone, which... We had questions about at the beginning of the season and still have questions about. But I think the fact that we're forced to sit together with people who are there a lot actually has built up some relationships between us. And that that game really highlighted kind of those of us who are on the same page, kind of getting to know each other and just being able to, um, yeah, experience gallows humour together. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other games I would think of, I think the Leicester game, pretty good atmosphere. The Liverpool game, just because it's the first of the season, there was a kind of enthusiasm and excitement to be there. And at the main stadium, I don't know, because one of the issues about like the Man United game, there was the most fans, but there was a lot of them were Man United fans. Whereas at least the Reading game, it was mostly Spurs fans and they were spread around the stadium. So again, not a great atmosphere, but in terms of the noise in the stadium, probably the best, but still not great. So how about an away atmosphere? Um, I, I, I like the Everton game, probably for similar reasons that you like the um, the Everton home game, but the Everton away game, because there were a little group of us together. There weren't very many of us who made the journey up, but we all managed to, a lot, a lot of us were stood together and it was a standing, which I like. And, you know, it was in a, that kind of ground, which it reminds me of when I first started supporting the women's team because it was much the same as the kind of ground we used to play at there. And Chris was there making a lot of noise um as she does and yeah you know we had some contact with the with Vicky before the game and players came over to talk to us afterwards even though it was not a good game and yeah for me just trying to think about that was a fun little but again not so much a a little bit of a kind of on the gallows side of it but there was quite a good atmosphere amongst the the group of us that were there yeah that was fun and um I mean because one of the problems is we played in a lot of main stadiums and so you know I quite like going down to King's Meadow but I don't really like going to Sanford Bridge so yeah that wasn't fun at all and definitely the Emirates was horrendous and going to Man United not fun so there's a lot of ones which are really not fun and then other teams play in big stadiums like Leicester and Reading we were going to say something about them later but I mean it's maybe kind of interrupt this episode to just highlight that we heard in the on the media today that Reading since they've been relegated from the WSL and are going down to the second tier have said that they are going to be making their players part-time and so they are no longer going to have full-time players it's partly because their men's team has also been relegated from the championship to league one so in the third tier of the men's football and so they envisage a um, you know a drop in income 
And it's a real shame because Reading were one of the few non-Premier League backed teams in the WSL and they were there for a long time. And, you know, it's for them to then drop and to cut the resources that far and that fast is going to have a detrimental effect, not just on the players and the staff who work there, but it's an indication of the lack of the spread of funds within the women's game, I guess. Yeah, and I think we want to pass our thoughts and and well wishes to everybody involved with that, fans and players at Reading, because there, but by the grace of God, go all of us in the women's game. And this is, I think it's a timely reminder to everybody who's been getting really excited about the growth of the women's game, that we're still at a point where a team who've been as big as Reading in the women's game, and they have, before we came to the WSL, they were consistently top four. So just in that short time, look at the fall that they've gone through and the position they find themselves in now. We are still nowhere near where we need to be in the women's game. Women's teams are still dependent on their men's teams to be doing well. We've seen too many teams go this route in the past. And yes, they will still have a team, but you look at the way the championship is going and it's going in the other direction. More championship teams are becoming full-time and it's hard to see Reading finding their way back to the WSL anytime soon. So it's really sad news for Reading, but also a timely reminder for everybody else in the women's game that there's so much more that we've got to do and just enjoying the Lionesses in the top four is not going to bring the change that we need across the whole of the game and it is across the whole of the game that we need to see change. Indeed. And I guess one of the reasons I mentioned Reading here as well is we were talking about stadiums and fans and actually it was we played them a lot of times this season. So we went there twice. They came to us twice. And even the game when we lost at their stadium, it isn't it was a nice place to go. And the fans were welcoming and it was not hostile. And amongst the WSL teams, you know, it was one set of fans who none of us had any major sort of dislike of. So it will be sad not to have that as an outing next year. I mean, we might have it in the Conti Cup. So who knows? Uh, we've been talking about seeing games live, but hey, you two got to see them on the FA player. So special one for Abby and Caroline. What was your worst FA FA player moment? Yeah, saying that we got to watch the games on the FA player is maybe not the right phrase. <laughs> More like we were very unlucky to have to do that. There, there were a lot of little moments, but honestly, the one game that stood out to me was Aston Villa when we played them at home, it, it was like glitches left and right. There there was this bizarre situation where it would freeze. And every time I would try to reload it, it would go back to the same timestamp. Like it was like in a loop. And then all of a sudden it would clear up. But as a result of this, I missed two goals, including um, a really crucial one from Beth England that put us in the lead temporarily. So that was definitely the worst experience of the season. Yeah. And like it being so bad that they couldn't even like get a good clip for the highlight reel for one and a half of those goals. Like there were ghosts in it. There were there were a lot of ghosts in the FA player this year. I can't even remember which games they were in. I would say my my least favorite FA player experience, which happens to me like literally every time is that you can't like put it forward 10 or 15 seconds or back 10 or 15 seconds when you're watching it back and you have to like drag the cursor along and you can't tell where it's going and so if you're trying to watch the game back at all and you want to like rewatch a goal or you want to rewatch to make sure someone hasn't gotten injured on a certain play and then you drag it back and it goes like three minutes ahead and then like you try to drag it back again and it goes 15 minutes back it's just a horrible play playback system and like for me, like one of the worst things about it, and I hate it so much. And I have almost 
thrown my iPad across the room before because of it. So we've done FA Player. We don't love you. Um, we're glad it exists. Could be better. We are going to go fast through three last awards. First of all, your most eeks moment of the season. I'm all sure of the done. own goals. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I'd say I'm pretty sure it was somewhere around Becky Spencer trying to do her ticky-tacky in the box. You know what? I was thinking of that one. Her and, when I said earlier, I think her and uh, Jess Park are going to come back so that we're going to be thinking about it. That That's one I thought of. But there were some other Eek's own goals. How about you, Abby? Yeah, for me, it was specifically the one where like Amy Turner managed to head it up in the air over her own keeper because it was just like, fine if the ball just bounces off of you. But if you have time to think about it and then you do a looping header into your own goal, that was really bad. And that was against Reading, wasn't it? It was the one was. one nil against Reading. It was in that string of horrible games in December. Yep. Okay. Lots of eggs. I'm just going to tell you, there is only one answer to what is the most WTF moment of the year. And that is Evelina's ban. And anyone who wants to come up with any other reason. I'm still just mad wrong. about that. That was you my answer come up too. With another reason. It's fine. I mean, I'm, yeah, that I'm, was awful. <laughs> if we want to have another moment in there, just as a, as a potential, mine was the fourth, well, probably Eddie Brazil's ACL. Um, Cause it was her start of the season four ACLs. Her mum was in the, was, at the game and had come to see the game and was feeling nervous about her starting the game. And within minutes, she's done her ACL. So for me, that was a, a pretty WTF moment. God, you know what? I didn't even put in worst injury of the season and I should have done because there were so many. That's just the saddest moment. <laughs> yeah. And that was really upsetting. It was like, I feel like I can still see it in the replay in my head. Like, you know, something she, it was heartbreaking. She talked about being nervous about one-on-ones in interviews before and how that was something she was really trying to work to overcome. And you see her going for it and you're like, hell yeah, like she's doing it. She's doing the thing that scares her. And then she does her ACL on like, not even on contact, just on landing wrong. Yeah. And then seeing her getting driven out of the stadium by her mom. Yeah. Really sad, horrible. Okay, but we're not talking about sad and horrible. Does anyone else have any other WTF moments? We'll give that one to the ridiculous fan of Evelina. Um, How about funniest moments? I think for me, not to toot my own horn, but it's definitely like deciding to make a bit out of Beth England joining Spurs, thinking that it would never happen, and then her actually joining Spurs. I I struggled with this one just because I feel like moments of humor were kind of few and far between in our season, but... In, I guess it was the Reading game when Celine and Kit both did the same kind of like strutting goal celebration. I I just loved that. It was so funny. I think probably um, for me, it's just some of the moments between us as fans, the gallows humor at Everton and the, some of the other moments of just when uh, Everton had a, had a drum. So we, well, Chris sung at them. We're Tottenham, we don't need a drum. And then somebody else, somewhere else we went and they had a trumpet or something. So she sang, we're Tottenham, we don't need a trumpet, uh, you know, a horn, whatever. Well, you know, those kind of just building banter within the fan base and, and you know, starting to feel like there's a group of us who are there regularly and have that kind of camaraderie is good. Yeah, I think hearing Chris's song, Celine's song on a pod recently was a funny moment for me. And then the other one that came to mind was, this didn't even happen when she was playing for Spurs, but... Roz scoring the winning penalty for Morocco and not realizing it. That was that was a really funny moment. That was beautiful. That was that absolutely was genius. What a moment to remember. Okay, well, let us finally give a score out of 10 for the season as a whole. Don't have to give an explanation, just give me a number. 
Four. Yeah, I was going to go with four. Not irreversibly terrible, but certainly not what we were hoping for. There were mitigating factors. You know, we had to acknowledge that, but it was not good. Let's see. So I'm trying to be clever here. And I apologize in advance. There are 12 teams in the WSL and we came in ninth, right? So let's go with two and a half because that's the correct ratio for out of 10. Yeah, I was thinking kind of a three. I mean, (laughs) my first thought was a four and I was like, that's just generous. I was going to give it a five. I don't like giving bad grade. My my cheeky rationale for my answer of four is that four is the table standing that I wanted us to have this season. So yeah, I'm going the the opposite, basically. Yeah, I mean, I really don't think I can go with five because the thing is, I mean, I can go with five if you're talking American scoring systems where like anything below a 60 is failing, right? Because that is, nobody's going to give you a 10, like a 10, right? You're going to get like something between like a 40 and a 60, right? But if you're just strictly going out of 10, like it really only barely could have gotten much worse. Yeah, well, that's it. Because my natural inclination, well, four, which is like, it's bad. You definitely want it in the lower half of the 10. But then I was like, it's actually, it's not just a little bit bad. It was badder, badder than my grammar has totally disappeared. Okay, it was worse than just a little bit worse than sort of halfway. So yeah, I'm going with a three for that. But I don't know. We almost got relegated. Like it was close. I don't want to believe that it was close but it was like it was close the vibes were there so I think that is it for our awards we've got we're going to focus on transfers now we now know about six departures Karis Harrop, Esther Morgan, Kaya Simon, Cho So Yun, Ichioma Ubagagu and Mana Iwabuchi so how do we feel about those players leaving the club? Mostly unsurprised Um, I think Karis was the one that really kind of came as a an unpleasant shock just because I felt like she still had a really important role to play as a squad player, if not as a starter anymore. Um, And just, you know, I think the fact that she was the first player that we interviewed, like I really have a soft spot for her. And so that was disappointing to hear. Although of course I feel like she's going to go on to do good things, whether that's continuing in football or, you know, after her football career. And then Esther also was a bit sad just knowing that she she is a fan of the team and she's someone that we had really hoped could develop with the club and for this to be the end of her journey with the with the club is a little sad. But the other ones were not not very surprising to me because they just had not made the impact that we would have hoped. Yeah, for me with Karis, I think my question is, was it her choice or was it the club's choice? There are suggestions that it might have been her choice. And if that's the case, I'm thankful to to her for everything she's done for the club and, and happy that she's in a place because I know she's got, you know, her, her life is waiting for her in Birmingham, basically, and living in London for most of the week can't have helped that. So if if it's her choice to go, then I'm happy for her. I would have been happy with her staying for another season, as you say, not as a starter necessarily, but with her leadership and things with Azzy and things, I think that would have been great. But if um, if life is waiting for her in Birmingham, um, so be it. Yeah, Esther, I, I will always remember her running halfway down the pitch with only one boot uh, in a game that very pe- few people were lucky enough to be there for. And I'm sad that she's not going to get the chance to prove herself more but hopefully she'll go on and have a great career um, elsewhere. Manor, of course, could still come back. Um, I know the rumour is she's looking for uh, looking at other options, but in theory, she had to be let go by the club because she's returned to Arsenal and Arsenal haven't actually officially let her go yet. So there is a chance that she'll come back. I don't think it's likely, but there is a chance. Kaya's statement made me think maybe she wanted to go home to Australia because she was talking about how good it was to come into such a, a friendly environment 
particularly when you're away from home. So I wonder if she wants to go back to Australia. Um, but Cho and Chioma, for all that they've tried, haven't brought much to the to the team this season. So not really surprising. My hottest take is that I think it was time for Karis to go and I am glad that she is going. I am saying this totally out of a place of love and out of a place of like, I've had to watch this happen to my favorite player before um, on the men's side in Yenvertongen. It, I had a really, it hurt my feelings to watch Karis this year. And I felt that there were like, even in games against like London City Lionesses in the championship, she was just constantly getting done on the wing. And like, to some extent, that was always true. But this was the season where it started being more than she could make up for by being like one of the smartest players out there, if not the smartest. And I think it was it was time for us to stop relying on her. And I think it was just time. And I, I, you guys know, I love Kara so much and that she's one of my favorite players, but there, you have to stop it before it gets really, really bad. You like, you just have to know when it's time to part ways. And so like, it was really sad for me watching her go, but I think it was the right time. I think the only other one that I'm like disappointed about is Esther as well. I think it, I would have loved to see her succeed at the club, but after a few tough loan spells, like, what are you going to do? These things happen sometimes. Yeah, and I did think the club might renew Kaya just because she's injured and we tend to do that, but it seems like, you know, there's no, like, hard feelings there and she'll get to go home and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, no real surprises on the outgoings yet, although, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if we kept Karis either, but... Yeah. I mean, hopefully the club is continuing to support Kaya's rehab. So even if she hasn't been renewed, she has now been out for all. I mean, she was injured very early in the season. So it's been about nine months now. And you'd hope that they, you know, it's only a few months left that you might, they might have some agreement with her. You know, that's one of the things that you don't want players to be left with medical bills and physio and all of that at the end. Okay. Let's move on to another three who've got a one year option but we haven't heard whether it's going to be taken up yet. That's Evelina, Kitts and Gracie. So do you expect to see the option taken up in all three cases and would you like it to be? So a kind of yes, no on, do you expect it? And yes, no, would you like it to be? I think yes on both for me. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if any of these three did not get their option picked up. I mean, Evelina, we know she's integral to our side. Kit clearly is very exciting, creative player. And we don't have a ton of those in the squad. So she's very important as well. And Gracie, I mean, you know, we just talked about Esther and these these are both players that were out on loan this past season. And I think it's fair to say that Gracie had a, a more successful loan. And even in the few times we've seen her play, you know, with the first team, I think she's shown enough that she deserves to get a chance. So yeah, I'd like to see all three of them back. Same. Yeah, me too. And I think um, it, I would be surprised. Well, I, I think looking at the way that it's been done, six people have been announced they're going. So presumably those were either either those are the only six that are going or those are the six that it's been like um, an easy decision and there's no ongoing kind of discussion with. Maybe the others, there is some discussion, I don't know. But I would imagine I, I, absolutely with Evelyn, unless the player doesn't want to stay, although I don't think it's really their choice. I think it's the club's choice because they've got the option. But I would absolutely expect those three to be um, staying. Yeah, me too. I mean, my only thing is I would really like the club to give a proper longer contract to Evelina because 
she's about to become get into the prime of her career. And if she has a season where she improves as much next year as she did this year, and she's out of contract at the end of next year, that's not good for anyone. Like we want her to be staying. And if somebody wants her from us, we want them to have to pay money. Like she's someone who I feel like we've seen enough of her that the club should start trusting and maybe putting under a longer contract. Absolutely. Um, the only issue I have, and Kit, I think as well, that's the same. We haven't seen her back to her full best, I don't think. She hasn't had a whole game that she, where she's been strong. And I think the only thing that probably is going to hold back her getting a longer contract is the fact that we've got so many number 10s or potential number 10s at the moment. It's the one place where we're properly overloaded, especially if Evelina is going to sometimes play there. But yeah, I imagine they're all going to have at least their options taken up. There's another four who have their contracts end this summer and we haven't heard anything about that. So these are going to require a little bit more negotiation if the club wants them to stay. That includes Shalina, Tinny, Roz and Asmita. Do you expect all of these to stay at Spurs and do you want them to? So in my notes, I just wrote question marks over all of them because I I just, I I really don't know what the club's going to do about them. I feel like it could go either way for for any of these players, Shalina, I guess you could say is probably the most likely to stay because she is our captain. Although that could be up for negotiation next season. I don't know, but it kind of depends, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Kaya wanting to go back to Australia, possibly I feel like because Shalina's had such a tough year, there's a very good chance that she's wanting to move closer to home. Obviously that would mean playing in the NWSL because the Canadian league has not started up yet, but and Tenny, I think she might just end up being a casualty of the fact that we need to bring in a more, I think, higher quality and more consistent first keeper. And since Becky is still under contract, Tenny might just be getting the short end of the stick because she's the one who's easier to move on. And, you know, who knows with Roz? <laughs> Literally, who knows? And Asmita, I think we all really think that she has a lot of potential, but there were signs this season that perhaps, you know, both managers really did not seem to favor her or give her the minutes that we would have liked to see her getting for her own development. So I just don't know. It could go either way. Yeah. I don't know what the hell the club is doing with her. I, every day I wake up and hope to hear an interview that she's been injured and and has had managed minutes or something and it just doesn't happen. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if she wants to go elsewhere for more playing time, but if she if she wants to stay, then I think that would be a really good acquisition from us to sign her on again. I, yeah, the rest of them, I just don't know. I, I love Tinny and I think that she's been good for us at times. I think goalkeeper is an area we could easily upgrade as well as center back. I have been feeling like Shalina has been great as our captain or like, you know, she's put in a good shift, but I've always wished that Molly was actually our second best center back and not our best center back. I think that that could really allow her to shine. I'm again, any of these players, I'm kind of happy if the club wants to keep them in the squad, but I'm not like, I just don't know what to make of, of what's going on. Yeah. Like I say, I think it's interesting that they haven't announced these four when they've announced six already. I would imagine if it was just a straight, straight job of no, we don't want them or they don't want to stay that they would have been announced as leaving already because even if there there was some talk about maybe Shalina is going and they're leaving that till later, but it's been later now and you kind of think how much later are they going to leave it? So I, I do wonder if there are issues around either these players maybe looking at their options or us wanting to get a new manager's take on these players. I think I, we did 
we spent money on Asmita at a time when we didn't spend money on players and apparently fought quite hard to get her. So it would be a real shame if we let her go without a fight. I think I, I like Tinny. I like her a lot. I think she's a, a decent keeper. But yeah, it does depend on what the new manager wants to do keeper-wise, whether they're happy to have you know two keepers sharing it or whether they're expecting one keeper to to be the first choice and if that is the case you know and it's not going to be tinny she probably wouldn't want to hang around for that given the time in her career and everything shalina and Roz, obviously there's a lot of gossip going on about the two of them and what may or may not be happening in their personal lives which may or may not affect their decision as to whether they want to stay or not so i think there's a lot of question marks over those two shalina i think after the year she's had and the way things have been i would like to see her relieved of the captaincy if she does stay apart from anything else i think taking some pressure off her wouldn't be a bad thing and we've got other players i think who would be great leaders uh molly and ash as starters I think Roz can have great games and she can have terrible games and um, part of me is like happy for her to stay as a backup player but equally if there's somebody better out there then um, I wouldn't wouldn't be as upset to see her go so I think there are lots of question marks on those four and just simply the fact that they exist as a four who we're waiting to hear about um, and timescales and all of this are quite interesting as well. I think that thing you said there, Sean, is what I hope most, which is that maybe they are waiting for a new manager to come in who has an opinion about how she or he is going to play the team and who is going to fit into that style of play. But I don't know that that is the reason. Like, if that was the reason, I'd be really happy. I heard today about Leicester releasing 12 players, which seems on the one hand like a lot, but it's also a sign of a manager being in place who wasn't there at the start of last season, who, you know, is clearing house and is creating a team that is going to fit his style of play. And, you know, on the one hand, you don't want that many players to be released at one time. It's the short term contracts and things that we know are bad in the game. But at the same time, having a manager there making decisions is just so, you know, so useful. And the fact that potentially decisions on players like these who I don't think any of us foresee as being net well maybe with the exception of Mita who we can imagine becoming a you know a starter at some point maybe relatively soon for every game you know Tinley did have a better game a, a better season than Becky did statistically but at the same time it doesn't look like she's going to become the permanent number one and she has limitations around distribution and the other things you know so on the one hand she's great she calms the game down she controls things I love translating her tweets because they're always so fun and she's always doing all of these really exciting political organizing things in Finland and she cares about the game she cares about issues around the game and so I love having her in the team and I think she is a good keeper with lots of strong points but don't think that Shalina is going to be a starting center back for more than another year or so at most and She's having stress at the moment. I won't even go over Roz again. I'm very ambivalent at best around Roz. (laughs) You know, unless there's a manager coming in who knows what he wants or she wants to do with her. I don't see the massive advantage. I mean, one thing about Tinny that we just haven't mentioned in a while, she is our entire international scouting department, right? (laughs) So we have to keep her. (laughs) (laughs) We do actually have a list of questions relating to that later. So yes, we, we have to keep her for that reason alone. I mean, I I would love there to be a way for Tinny to stay at the club. I think she is just such a great person to have at the club. You know, her up there with Karis in terms of sort of older players who 
just seem to have a really positive influence. Absolutely. And just having that understanding of the ga- the wider game and, the, you know, those players who really care about it because they've seen where it's come from and really believe in, in taking it on. Becky is probably also on that list. You know, again, I don't really, I'm not super excited about Becky being our number one next season, even though I love Becky. Um, okay, well, those are all the potentially outgoing players. And I guess one of the reasons we need a few players to leave is that we want to see some incoming players. But so far... We have heard remarkably little along the um, rumour mill about incoming players. Just one has been mentioned by anyone, and that is a 26-year-old Israeli called Eden Avital, who spent the last season at now relegated D1 feminine club Soyot, which I am probably horribly mispronouncing. Sorry, French people who might be listening. It was close enough. It was close enough. Yeah, exactly. Relegated French um, team. And, you know, one of the things to note is that we have seemed to recruit a lot of players from the French League. We have recruited players from Finland and from which was just the American club we always Orlando Pride exactly Orlando Pride French League Finland and the WSL so maybe our scouting networks are still the same but do we think it do we have any opinions about Eden she didn't start many games she didn't score many goals she's a kind of tricksy number 10 I guess slightly in the Celine mold, but not really I mean it's a comical rumor with all this stuff you just said about the club and playing time and I don't know I want to hear some defensive rumors I just can't that's my only opinion well my only thought is that last season there weren't we didn't really hear much rumor um it just happened so I think it's possibly the case that there aren't really any journalists close to the Spurs backroom kind of stuff and actually it's changed since then and I know our Orlando Pride stuff was a lot to do with our former general manager who's no longer with the club so presumably that link has kind of gone um so it'd be interesting to see what does happen but as I say I think I'm not too worried about the rumor mill not churning for us because it does tend to churn for other clubs more than us which is potentially about them having journalists who are cozying up to them and, and Spurs not having that which isn't a bad thing I think um I think your point about the pride is a really good one I, I would not expect that to continue now that I mean I have no idea what I'm talking about but I that was also I I thought that was where those players were coming from so I feel like that's not going to happen and I think the pride are less of a, a mess now as well so I think I don't I don't really know I could be proven wrong but I don't know I think there were a lot of rumors though last year coming from M. Sandy and Catherine Butt mostly I remember like I was writing these up like every week like on Monday morning I just open up Twitter and like see new Spurs rumors and the only one that we didn't hear about before it happened well two was Angerad and Celine those were total surprises but the other ones were rumored by Emma, Emma Sanders main, mainly, I think. And so far, the only one she's given us is Avatar. So I don't know. Maybe that was just because we were lucky number five last year and this year we're not. So we're going to go back to having no rumors again. But I think this was a rumor with a Catherine Batlin. She was the one oh, we yeah. also talked about. She got Beth first and also Rianne yeah. stacking first. So potentially she may know someone or be a more reliable source. Doesn't mean this player is coming, but it is such a left field random thing to be speculating. It's not like a player we go and anyone has any opinions about. So you don't suddenly come with that speculation if it's not based on something. Um, But then like you say, number 10 isn't if you're saying that's the kind of player she looks like. That's not a position that we have a great need for a player in. So it does seem like a strange, strange one to be linked with full stop. 
yeah I mean a fifth choice number 10 is definitely not high on my list of what we're looking for this season so just on that list what's your top two positions at the moment I mean for me defensive midfield is absolutely top what about you guys yeah, I think defensive midfield and I think with Keris and Esther departing, I think um fullbacks is gonna be or wing backs is gonna be an important one because we haven't we got as meter and we've got Ash. Yeah, with you on that. I mean we might need another centre back as well, unless we want to I mean if Shalina goes and otherwise we're relying consistently on Yeah, but you told me two positions and those are my two positions. Those are <laughs> good two positions. I'm keeping my role. Well done, thank you very much. And Abby. I know it's really between those three, isn't it? For me, it depends on whether Ash is a attacker or a fullback because if she's going to be an attacker, then we need like fullback needs to be on the list because we we can't play Amy Turner there. We just can't do that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, DM is the other one. But yeah, so if Ash if, if Ash does want to be a fullback, I'm fine prioritizing center back. But I don't know. There's players who do both. Get a get a fullbacky center back and like a because Ash and Ismita are both fairly attacking so that's what I would do get a get a fullbacky center back especially one who plays on the left uh and a DM I mean I think our wings are another area that we could do that we've got lack of depth what somebody tweeted out about what what we've who we've got where and admittedly that list included Ash as a uh, uh, I think as a right fullback and we know she can play at left fullback and on the wings as well so who knows but I think there is space for some reinforcement on the wing as well yeah I'd love to see a left winger come in I think um, I'm totally happy with Celine on the other side or like if you're going to play both Beth and Nikki up top like doing something interesting with having a more defensive player sitting out on the wing but it would be nice to have a left winger who isn't Roz I'm fine with her staying in the squad but I'd love another starting better left winger yeah, I mean, I like seeing Jess on the wing, but she I'm not convinced that she's going to get enough minutes, so we need someone else as well. So. Right, and if she's as injury-prone as, as Nikki was this year, then, I like, yeah, we needed another striker to come in to cover for, for that. Like, she seems injury-prone enough that we can't rely on her to be getting those regular minutes. Okay, so lots of positions to fill. Big question is, who's going to be doing the filling? And I guess that's where we go back to thinking about the manager's. And I guess just before we get on to think about who we want, a very quick reflection on the season and how Brianne and Vicky compared. And this is, I guess this was prompted by, I did a little bit of comparison of them. And this is where I was um, talking about the fact that Rianne consistently actually did much better than Vicky against top four teams. And they did pretty similarly against bottom four. It's actually bottom three because we're one of the four, but the other teams in the bottom four. And where Vicky did consistently better was against those middle teams. And we heard from her when she came in and after, well, a bit later, really, when she was reflecting on what she was doing, that she was trying to create stability and she was playing the same system all the time, same players in the same places. And so she didn't make adjustments to try and defend more, you know, to sit back or to do anything differently against Arsenal or against Manchester United and we got pulverized by them but at the same time that kind of familiarity meant that we seemed to do a little bit better against the middle teams and it wasn't mostly creating more chances it was mostly Beth England then finishing the chances that we were anyway creating and she wasn't especially more defensively strong so it's interesting trying to compare them because 
in some ways, maybe what she did made sense when you're fighting relegation. But I wouldn't say that objectively she did a better job managing the team than Rianne Skinner did this season, if you're looking across all of the games. So it's a kind of, I don't know, I feel a bit torn about like thinking now, looking back on it. What about you guys? Yeah, I think it is a a different kind of setup for both of them because Rianne at the beginning of the season was saying, we were the best of the rest last season. We need to be progressing um, or, or at least keeping that position and wasn't able to do that. But that's where she was coming from. From a, We were starting to figure out the top four teams last season. So we need to keep pushing on that. And she was trying to build on last season. It didn't work out for injury reasons or chemistry reasons or whatever it was. But that was where she was coming from. Vicky came in at a very different point. Vicky came in with a, we've got to stay in the league point of view. And with the best will in the world, when you're in that position, you're not going to beat the top four. I mean, even last season, we only beat one of the top four. And that was when they were having a really bad start to the season. So whilst we were getting closer to it last season, well, that was when we had our excellent defence. This season, we didn't have that. Vicky had to be focusing on the other games because it wasn't realistic where we were at to be getting points, I don't think, from the top four. So I think she did the right thing. But I, and I think it's difficult to compare them for that reason because they were given very different targets, I'm sure. Rianne's target was fifth and Vicky's target was still in the league. So that those are really different ways of comparing. And I don't think you can, I think it'd be fair to judge Vicky as a manager on what she did because what she was trying to do was stay in the league but I do think that uh, we would it we we would it would be good for us to get a manager in who had more experience uh, and who Vicky can work with going forward you know there were good signs with her but whether those were things that had started with Rianne I think they probably were because there wasn't a lot changing. But I guess just to play devil's advocate on that, we were losing to top four teams by the same kind of margins as we were losing to middle teams at the point at which Vicky took over. We were lo- we lost 3-2 to Chelsea. We lost 2-1 to Manchester United. And we were losing by similar margins to Liverpool, to Aston Villa, etc. It was a 1-0. It was a 2-1. No, sorry, 2-1, 2-1 in each of those games. And so we did suddenly do dramatically worse in one and scraped a little bit better in another and that was also at a time when players were coming back from injury so I guess I'm not saying of course she didn't have she did have a different job there were different priorities etc I just think it's really worth highlighting that there was you know there were these very specific limitations to how she had the squad playing I guess and yeah that is totally fine when you're fighting relegation but but, and we don't know how she would pr- present if that would if she would start the season rather than Rianne. We don't know how she would have, have set up start that season. So I, I think it's a diff- difficult thing to compare. I mean, I think actually, you know, the Liverpool thing as well is interesting because Liverpool, when we played them early on in the season, inevitably they were getting used to life in the new league and they weren't the side that they were that we when we played them away, they were a much better side. And actually they went on to have some really good results after they played us. And interestingly, after we played them in the league, we went on and played them in a friendly behind closed door where we thrashed them by all accounts. So, you know, there's lots of different factors. It's not just purely about us either. It is about the different teams and how they are doing in the league at the given point. So I do think it's really, I just think it's really difficult to compare those and yeah. and look at it that way. But as I say, I'm, I, I don't, I, I think the season was just a really weird, well, I've said, I think next season is the most important season to determine whether this season has been a blip or not because we've had two so differing seasons in the last two seasons. So I think next season is really huge for us to make sure that last season was a blip and, and we are actually 
on the up. I mean, I don't think our performance against Liverpool across either of the two games was actually very different. So the first game, we were much better than in the first half and then they dominated the second half. And the second game, we were actually, we were pretty bad, but we had moments um, and then we were away. I mean, both of them were bad. I wouldn't say either performance was... <laughs> the first half in the first game against Liverpool, we were good. But that's like across three halves, that's not a lot. Um, I don't know. Abby? Yeah, I think... Um... The thing that I keep coming back to is it's really hard for me to put it down. Like, it's really hard to put my finger on anything other than variance. Like, I do think that variance not going our way was one of the biggest problems about Rianne's tenure. And then we changed managers and the variance started going our way more. Not all the time, but like when it counted, we got some bounces. And I think the call out we've been making these last couple episodes about Vicky is sticking with the same system is is a good one and I think it contributed to things like that that team goal that I said I thought was our season's best goal um in the end but so that's more like for me that's more like down to the success of Vicky as a manager but I can't say why like variance just had so much to do with why things went wrong with Rianne yeah no I mean the number of players who were injured who was coming back when various little bits and then the order in which we played teams so what's interesting is after Beth England joined the team Rianne never played one of the bottom three teams so she only played top four teams and then a couple of games against middle four teams and so she had a really bad sort of luck in terms of the ordering of games compared to Vicky who mostly got to play teams at the bottom and middle Um, yeah and so. even down to like like Amy's own goal against Reading, which I think was the first in that sequence of like bad games, like that doesn't happen. Like maybe we get another bounce and put the ball in the back of the net, even with the injuries, maybe things go differently against Everton and West Ham. We have a long run of games without a win, but nobody's talking about relegation. The whole mood is different. We finish the season with Rianne, like you know, we're in like seventh place instead of ninth, which is like only a couple of points anyway. We're asking questions, but we're asking different questions. Anything could have happened. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing we can say is that the Celine goal, notwithstanding, we did feel across the whole season, like there wasn't, you know, connections across the team in a consistent way. I don't know if we had an entire game. Okay, maybe the Brighton game, maybe even the Reading game, but even then not entirely perfectly where we felt like, okay, this is a Spurs style of play. This is, I I get what's meant to be happening here. It's all smooth. There would, you know, we could see what they were trying to do, but there were just so many. Which is weird because even at the end of last year when we'd lost a bunch of games and we had a bunch of players injured I still understood what Rianne football was and this year I just have no I have no fucking clue what what was happening there I just don't know throwing my hands up okay so we're in a sort of state of confusion about manager hopefully by the time you listen to this podcast there will be a new manager and we'll all be very excited about and we'll have to do an emergency podcast to talk about them but in the meanwhile we've got a few listener questions so ryan says say we bring in, bring in like a five new players would you rather see us go after older slash experienced players or go for younger and build for the future players well, you kind of want a mix of those, don't you? So within your squad as a whole. So I guess it depends on where those players are coming in. In the midfield area, I'd say, you know, we've got a few older hands and we've got some young and exciting people. I guess, I think it's about the mix rather than saying specifically um, we want older players to come in or we want younger players to come in. And I think we've been reasonably good at that, actually, because we kind of 
had a bit of an argument about whether we'd gone for older players this in the summer or younger players and kind of worked out I think that we did bring in a bit of a mix I think that's what you want but we have we have got quite a lot of young exciting players so I would want to see us being careful not to bring in more young players in those positions if we're going to be bringing in people in those positions we want experienced players who can be playing and who can then be uh, mentoring those younger players we don't want to have Lots of young people competing for positions and therefore not getting minutes. But I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a mix for me. It's interesting because I think while we have a mix, like unfortunately the beat of time marches on every year, and we are tied for our oldest squad with Liverpool. And so even though we brought in a mix last year and we already had a mix, like everyone's just gotten older. And so with that in mind, I think we have plenty of old enough players in our squad to provide that experience. Like some of the players we would have considered medium or prime age are now getting up to be older players who have experience. And I think we need to focus on younger players entirely because Yeah, I mean, there's not a huge range, to be totally honest. I'm looking at it right now. Our average age is 27.9 years, which is not that old. It's not that bad. Leicester has the youngest squad and they're at like 24.6. So that's really only like a a couple years difference. But the longer you wait to turn that over, the bigger the gap's going to get. And I'd rather rather watch us develop some younger players who like we get to watch grow like your Evelina's and stuff like that so it is colored with personal opinion and I'm kind of making the stats do what I want them to do but there you are yeah I mean if you look at the players that we brought in who were I guess older last season that's Drew Spence Amy Turner Angered James and, and then you think the younger ones was Celine Bizet um Ellie Brazil and Nicola Karcheska I think the younger ones okay Ellie's out and I guess Ramona Petzelberger and I'm just that she's a middle and also disappeared so we just can't even say anything about her but on average I think the younger ones performed have outperformed their expectations much more than the older ones and but I think what I want I don't even care if they're younger or older I want players who are getting game time I don't want us to recruit a single player who has not played two-thirds of their team's games in the last season um, whether that is from fitness or because they're not getting selected or whatever else Please, can we just have players who are playing and don't think, yes, I think as Abby said, we don't need any more older and we tended in the past. And that's what you do when you're a middly team. You get people who are like supposedly top players, but a little bit past their prime years or you get young players and you cross your fingers and I don't know. I don't, you know, if we have greater aspirations, we shouldn't be going for those players who are outside their prime years and you're crossing, you know, like hopefully we can find, like this is where we need better scouting people who are getting people who are are able to run for the whole 90 and can pass the ball a bit. And but, um, but playing devil's advocate here, the players who have been playing more minutes have been the older players. The players who've been on limited minutes have been Celine, have been Nikki, have been Ellie, who hasn't been able to play at all. So in, you would have expected it to be the other way around, that it's the younger players who've got the minutes in them to play and the older players who... So it's... I, I, I think at the end of the day, it's not really about older players versus younger players. It's about a bigger, a wider remit than that. And it's about, I want players coming in who are not going to be on limited me- minutes for three quarters of the but season. But it is also that, but it's also how, what their, why is it that they're not playing? And, you know, there is, there seems like a lack of willingness to trust some of the young players for a long time this season. And it well, wasn't I think, just I think, part the, I think part of the issue is, is communication from the club. We don't know what the reason is, but I think, Celine and Nikki have both been on limited minutes. It's been quite clear for 
for fitness reasons um, and injury reasons. So I, I think you've got to be careful about just saying younger or older and just saying, well, the younger players have performed better than the older players because the older players might not have come in and, and done as much as we were hoping for. But equally, we had higher expectations of them because we knew of their history whereas the younger players we didn't really have expectation of and I know you love Nikki but she's really achieved very little this season for us as a player because she really hasn't had much time and we don't know what the reason for that is if that's because the managers haven't been playing her that's probably because they haven't been seeing in training what they were hoping to see and if it's because of injury then younger players you know we need to be bringing in players who got so I I don't think it's fair to say the younger players have that have come in have done better than the older players I think they've shown They've been better than we thought they would. Comparatively, in terms of expectation, the younger players have been better because we were expecting less of them. And I think Celine's been brilliant. But beyond Celine, I don't think there's been huge differences between the younger and the older players. I think there's a larger issue at play here, which is like we kind of mentioned this earlier in the episode that both the older players and the younger players we brought in had limited minutes before coming to Spurs. And that, I think I'm a little bit reaching here, but... It suggests to me that that is actually the problem is that it's sounding like the only way we can convince players to come to Spurs is by promising them playing time or something uh, or like, you know, offering and like a place where, oh, well, you'll get more minutes at Spurs than you will if you go to Chelsea, Arsenal, whatever, like come leave Chelsea because you're not getting any minutes anymore and we'll give you minutes at Spurs. And I think that the larger issue is that that seems to be our main like method of, of recruiting people. And it would be nice like if we had something else to offer (laughs) other than just like, well, you'll get some minutes. And I think, I think that, um, you know, it concerns me that some of our younger players haven't gotten minutes for that reason and like aren't trusted because it's like, how are we going to convince other younger players to come to the squad and play in the squad when we don't know what's happening and they might not get minutes and they might not develop. And I don't know. I think it's just... I'd also just like to point out that Beth England, player of the season, is an older player. She's 29, so there's no question that she's an older player. Well, she's so think, in her prime, though. She, I when think she came she was, to us, she was 28. Just turned 29. But, and but, I think like, but Drew Spence is only 30. Amy Turner is only 31. She's in the same ballpark as those players. And I, that's why I say it's not about age, it's about player. And it's also about what they've been doing. So, like you're saying, I mean, this is where I do disagree with you because you said. Nikki has done not very much. She, yeah, she's had hardly any minutes, but she scored two goals in the um, league and two goals in the cup and an assist in the cup. And her goals per minutes in the league is like she's second only to Beth for obvious reasons because she's had so few minutes. So yeah, maybe it hasn't been the most productive and maybe she has been sidelined because of fitness sometimes, but we've seen her come on and be ready to play. And I just don't believe that it was always fitness. I do think there are other times where there were choices about whether or not she was going to get minutes and it's about the way the team is set up. And obviously now with Beth in the squad, there's less opportunity and she's more likely to come on as a substitute. And I don't think that she has suddenly like set the world on fire. But at the same time, I think that she has a decent record in the minutes that she has had for this for the team. And it does come down to that thing that Abby was talking about is that we are getting in these players. And I 
you know, we were joking at the start about whether Amy had been promised that she'd like start all the time. And like, I'm sure she wasn't, but it did sometimes feel like there were players who were just getting a lot of starting time that it didn't always make sense. But at the start of the season, I do think it was more about Nikki's fitness. At the start of the season, I absolutely think that those minutes were being managed for those players, for Nikki and for Celine. Later on in the season, absolutely, they they seemed it, it was possibly choices but so uh, and I think at the start of the season it was I think with all the injuries it's been a bit of a mishmash and I think they've been trying to go with well you know trying to push Evelina up so you've got other people in there and I mean I think I think you know Drew's had some really bad games but she's had some really good games and we can't it's hard to compare when Nikki's had so few minutes what those minutes would have been if she'd had longer minutes so I think it's I mean I think it's a really difficult one and uh, it's um we're not there have been some really excellent older players who've come in and there have been some excellent younger players who've come in so my my to answer Ryan's question my desire is just that they bring in players who are actually going to be the ones who get minutes on the field and make a difference and fit in with the with the squad so we don't have the problems we've had this season yeah and again this just comes to having to have a manager who has a plan how they're going to play and bringing in players who are as good as possible in the positions that we need them and it's not about age I think I'd amend my answer to say like so I want it to be about age and so therefore my number one criteria for a manager maybe like number three actually others for some more on-field stuff is I want it to be a manager who is good at developing young players. I don't want to just be chucking young players into a black hole, which is kind of how it felt like was happening at this year. Um, so I would like to prioritize younger players, um, but we need a manager in place who is going to actually do that and develop them in order to do that. And until we know the manager, as Rachel said, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Find a manager, give them whoever they want, make it be good. Simple, I mean, ironically, right? Ironically, Rianne was supposed to be a manager who was good with young players because of where she come from. So Yeah, I should have said that for my biggest surprise of the season was learning that actually that was not the case. Yeah, it really wasn't the case this season. Was it? But, I mean, she was good at creating a community of young players. They seem happy off the pitch. So that's But some, sometimes good. I worry that creating too much of a happy camp off the field and creating that family atmosphere doesn't leave room for actually this is a competitive experience I think about that often because somebody left a comment on one of my articles once that was like something like you know this isn't like Tottenham Hotspur holiday camp like blah 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 and I was really mad about it at the time because I was like to be fair to me um it was at the same time that a lot of rumors about like horrible things going on in the NWSL were coming out and so I was like No, I do want my players to be happy. And I still stand by that. Um, But I definitely think it's a fair point overall. Like you have to also have the on-field results. Like you do have to have that that balance. Like I, I concede that point to my commenter. I know. I mean, it's like we're hearing complaints from Manchester United fans. We won't go into that in detail about Mark Skinner. On the one hand, this manager has now taken their team to second in the league and they had a you know they were fighting for the title and on the other hand there are potentially issues with how he relates to some players and I'm not saying I want managers like Mark Skinner and those (laughs) issues I'm just saying yeah a bit more balance between happy campers and and getting the results might might be well can I just be clear about one thing I would not take second place for Mark Skinner given those rumors and I don't think we should but I think there is a balance there to be struck it's not impossible. Like we can have both and we should demand it. Absolutely. A manager who's a decent human being and is good at managing players, especially 
bringing young players on. So, hey, <coughs> all the moms, let's wait and see. <laughs> we have two questions from Sean, so you can take one each. Who wants to t- answer what do you think will happen with Shalina, the captaincy and formation for next season? That's a lot in there. Let's just, any part of that, any of either of you want to answer? We've kind of talked about some of it already. Yeah, I think we've already talked about Shalina and, and us not really having a clue what's going on with her. As I said, I'd like to see her not have the captaincy luck next season if she does stay. But I guess, again, managers coming in will choose who they want to be the captain so that's up to them formation again I think it depends on who the manager is going to be you know managers have their way of playing and until we've got a manager in place it's hard to know what anything else is going to look like so Abby this one's for you maybe can Gracie Pierce force her way into the team had a good winning loan and looked comfortable on the ball when called upon for us is she the centre-back slash full-back you were dreaming of earlier uh, let me look up her age real quick. No, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, I sure. Chuck her on there. She seemed to have a great loan spell at Bristol City, who did really well. And like, I do think that the, the championship is, is like a significantly, significantly lower level than the WSL. We know that London City Lionesses were flying high when we played them and we were flying really low and we still beat them 5 nothing or 5-1. Was I, whatever. We scored five goals against them. And I think that speaks to some of the defending in the league. That said, like, I still really want to see Gracie develop and I, I don't have a better idea. Sure. <laughs> okay. This one, you can start taking your pick from Kirsty. Just for fun, if our international players take a leaf out of Tinney's book and start recruiting players from their national teams, who would you want to be lured to Spurs? Either realistic available players or in your wildest dreams. And of course, that's where like the problem of having just lost a bunch of international players are goes. So you can no longer have anyone from South Korea. You can't have anyone from Japan or from oh, who else we just lost. Well, I know we still got a Welsh player, so you can still have someone from Wales if you want. I'm going to leave this one to people who know more about international players than I do. I mean, I'm just chucking in Nikki bringing in Eva Payor so that we have like the two best centre forwards in the world, Beth and Ava. But I think, um, I know this is not going to happen. I'm fully aware of that. I would like Shalina to send over Kadisha Buchanan in her place. I think uh, that would be awesome. Although we do already have Molly's passing, so maybe like a less passy on the ball center back would be better but you know what I'm not picky I think I remember gosh I'm gonna totally mess up who this player was I've been trying to like look it up in the background but there was another Polish winger from FC Fleury who I thought was really really fun to watch and all the Nicola clips uh it may be Grabowska. I'm not sure. That's good because that's realistic because the only winger I was thinking of was Guru Wrighton, which, you know, and we know oh, that I would do that too. On. <laughs> Absolutely. Would absolutely <laughs> take Guru Wrighton any day of the week. I am so sorry, but she's just one of my favorite players. I love her. Um, like favorite non-spurs players, of course. I think, um, oh, you know who we should take? We need Shalina to send over Kylan Sheridan fantastic goalkeeper maybe one of the best in the world I totally mispronounced her first name but let's have Sheridan that would be awesome that's good and while we're getting a goalkeeper I keep on thinking of strikers we're gonna have too many strikers but obviously we could get Bunny Shaw in as well Drew Mm. and Becky just bring her over yeah that's a good one I'm trying to think of like I need so well we have so 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 surely Surely we can get another fullback from somewhere. And we must, there must be, come on, there's got to be, I mean, this is where we should have done a bit more research, which, yeah, I also didn't do, but we need a defensive midfielder from somewhere. 
I know. I was going to say Ingrid Engen is kind of a defensive midfielder, I think, but I'm not sure she's like, I'm not sure she would help that much. I feel like I, I don't watch her that much, but I feel like there are questions about her still. I, I mean, I love Ingrid Engen, so I feel like that couldn't be, yeah, that could be worth a punt, but I also want her to stay at Barcelona and be happy with Mappy Leon, so whatever. Or we could just get both of them. Although we don't have any Spanish. Do we have any Spanish players? We don't have any Spanish players. We have people who used to be on our team who are, who yeah, are no Spanish. Good. But I guess we could get Emma anyway. Covisto. I mean, she's not my top player, but she's Finnish and she's kind of in the position we need someone. Mm, that's true. That is true. I'm going to have to, you know what? I'm going to look up. I'm going to get a better answer for defensive midfield and put it in my quote tweet on the episode. So yeah okay i think that's it we have gone through a lot of stuff today um the last thing we're going to talk about is just really a sort of moment of celebration which is we have finally got our first spurs women player who is going to be playing for england and of course it is beth england so yay do we are we think this is well deserved i mean this is a like stupid question but don't think that's really a question is it of course it's of course it's deserved 12 goals in 12 games pretty decent return for anybody's money you know she's come to a new club she hasn't looked out of place at all um and that's part of why serena says she's um she's brought her because of her resilience and uh, and that kind of thing and also you know you've lost ellen white you've lost some other experience in that england squad so i think um absolutely the right thing to bring beth in and i think as we say, she's won the hearts of the Spurs fans and we're all now desperate to get England shirts with England on the back whilst still being miffed that Ash is not in that squad and a little miffed that Molly's not even getting a look in either. But, you know, we can at last... The trouble is for me now, I'm actually going to have to start paying attention to international games, right? Um, I, I, um, I, I haven't got the bandwidth for more stuff, so I've kind of ignored international games. But now now that Beth is in that squad, it's I'm starting to contemplate getting an England shirt can't afford getting an England shirt but I quite like the the England home shirt with England 19 on the back I think would be fab you know and this is the point we've been making before about if you spread the players out across the league you get more of the more fans for England because you get more excitement from a player that you support obviously Abby you don't really care except for because she's happy I mean it's just nice to see players who don't get called up who everyone thinks should get called up actually get called up uh, and that's all I'll say like that. <laughs> I was just thinking, though, that while you were talking, like if we count English players who don't actually play for England as like a separate category of national team, uh, do you think we can ask them to get Leah Galton to play for us? Yeah, I love Leah Galton. She's just, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm literally, as I said before, I'm thrilled for Beth. I I am so happy. I never thought I would experience this many positive feelings around the English national team, who has caused me a lot of stress in the past. So, yay. Yeah, it did. It was one of those ones where, especially after her just con- repeatedly not getting called up since she's been at Spurs. And we're just thinking like, oh, it's just not going to happen. You know, Serena Vigman doesn't change her mind very often. It's amazing that she did enough to make her change her mind. And she really did. It really was all of that. And it was quite ironic is that I think the quote that Serena Vigman put out was very much like she's had, you know, she's had to struggle through that time at Spurs and she still managed to score goals and 
<laughs> so I almost feel like us being really bad made her look even better. And it's Serena Wiegmann appreciate her efficiency in front of goal, which is really what you need in an international striker. That's what we I did should say for. something about this, though. I feel like I am hugely, hugely moved by by Beth's situation. I just like every day since she got the call up, I've just been thinking over and over again about the amount of self-belief it takes to find yourself out of the squad, not getting minutes and to go and then just know you could be great somewhere else, even though you've been at Chelsea for eight years to make that change, take that leap and then have that self-belief to score all those goals and like, you know, just have a generally positive impact on a team that's really struggling, even through a manager change, even through continuing not to get called up like two or three times and an injury, like she had that weird knee injury and to still have the self-belief after all that to know that like you belong on that England squad and you're going to get there. Like I've literally been thinking about that every day since it happened. It like, it makes me so emotional. It's really beautiful. I love professional athletes. They're so great. I think that's the perfect way to finish this one from our American co-hosts talking about how great it is for Beth England to be called out for England, which it is, and the sort of strength of character that she showed and just the amazing player that she is. And on that note, I think that's the end of the review of the year. So it's gone a little over length today, but hopefully you enjoyed it. We will have more podcasts over the summer, not quite as regularly, but we will come back when there are news and things to talk about and i hope you stay with us and look forward to next season being so much more exciting and all of the new players and manager that we have then until then come on you spurs